Well, we're glad to have each of you here tonight, and uh, as Brother Hamilton said, we need nursery workers. You didn't expect that to come out of my mouth first, did you? We can't go out unless we have somebody to watch some of those little kids, and I'm not sure how many kids we're going to have on Tuesday night, to be honest with you. I know a number of folks go out on Saturday, so uh, the majority will be there on Saturday. There may not be a very many, and to be quite frank with you, there's a possibility there may not be any even on a Tuesday night, depending on the circumstance or the situation. But again, it is just another opportunity that we're giving to go out in a more, uh, 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 I guess, uh, structured format. Again, and the, 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 the actual uh, team soul winning is something that, in reality, could be done uh, almost any time. You know, uh, if you're running into a problem, you can't make it on a Saturday, uh, you're out of town that weekend, or you're sick, you could arrange something with your partner and go during the week. Uh, you know, it's not Sunday. It doesn't even have to be just Tuesday. You go some other time. But remember, the, the wonderful, wonderful thing about team soul winning is that you have ownership of an area. It rises or falls on your commitment, your dedication, and your effort. Now, that's a, that's, that could be a two-edged sword, couldn't it? On one hand, you say, well, yeah, but if it's all on my shoulders, then if it doesn't happen, it's all my fault. Yeah, I know, but on the other hand, if it does happen, and then it's all on your shoulders. You know, and again, it's not about us taking credit for things, but understand something. I know one thing. When success rises or falls on my shoulders... I'm much more prone to take it seriously. And I just want you to understand, I didn't just come up with this idea because I thought it would just be fun to try it out. I thought that it's a great opportunity for you to have ownership of something. For you to say, it's my responsibility to reach this area for Christ. I can't remember who it was that said it, but in one of the prayer meetings, we meet at 6 in the morning on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. We meet at 12 o'clock on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. We meet at 6 in the evening on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. And at one of those meetings so far this week, somebody's made the statement that we're getting an opportunity to be a pastor of an area. And that's exactly what you do when you start a church. It's a pastor a church, basically, for the next eight months. And I want to encourage you to pastor it well. And to realize that if someone's extremely sick in your area, and they end up in the hospital, and I read about it in the newspaper, I may be tempted to go to the hospital and visit that person and say, you know, I just want you to understand, I don't know you from Adam, but you're in my area. I mean, what are you talking about? Well, each of us in our church, we've got an area that we pray over and we visit and we encourage people in that area. And I saw you were in a very serious accident, read about it. Thought I'd track you down and let you know I'm praying for you. And by the way, I was just curious. I'm concerned about your spiritual well-being. I wonder if you died, do you know we're 100% sure we'd spend eternity? And you might be surprised. God will open up some real doors for you. That's your Jerusalem. And we just want to encourage you to take it seriously and to really strive to be a pastor, so to speak, to those people in that area. 
I'd want to be effective in that area. Matter of fact, I'll probably have two areas that I'm working this year. And I, at least that's the way it looks now. And uh, I'm not going to have time to cover your area. I won't be able to do your work. I'll have too much of my own to do. And I hope that we'll all take it very seriously. I'm excited about team soul winning. I believe that team soul winning truly could change the, the face of our church. I think it could change the face of our church. I really believe that. I'm convinced of it. And uh, I'm convinced that soul winning is still the key to any church accomplishing what Christ intends to. And uh, I'm glad that we're back on track. I'm glad that we're going forward like never before, I believe. And I think we're trying something that will light the fire of faith as well as inspiration under each of our selves and get us going. I'm excited about it. I want you to turn to the book of Acts, chapter 8. So we need nursery workers on Tuesday. Maybe you can't go out soul winning. You're not able to go out on a Tuesday night or something. You just say, you know what, I can't maybe go door knocking, but I could certainly hold a baby. I could certainly encourage a parent by being there and helping them out if they needed me. Maybe you can't go door knocking, or you're unable to go door knocking, or for whatever reason you choose not to go door knocking. Can I tell you that we still have a whole list, a need of a whole list of people that will just team up with our teams and be a prayer partner with those teams. We probably only had 12 people sign up to pray for our teams. 12 people. Folks, listen, we're not going to make an impact in our community if only 12 others are joining our teams praying. Boy, I wish everybody in Community Baptist Temple... I wish everyone would get involved in the prayer. Even I don't, If they can't go or they don't want to go even, please get involved in the prayer because that's, is, that's so important. And you say, well, I thought just going soul winning is all that matters. Well, let me tell you something. We'll let God worry about that. You just worry about praying. Please pray. Sign up to be a prayer partner and join the teams. You'll have a specific team that you'll be praying for in a specific area. And you'll have their numbers. They'll have yours. And you can email them. You can call them. And you can do all of those things. So now that I've gotten the signal from the Lord, it's time to begin the message. Let's go over to the book of Acts one more time, chapter 8. We're going to begin reading in verses 1 through 4. I was just waiting for him to give me the go-ahead. Here we go. Let's go ahead and talk about this as we get ready to kick off our soul winning. I wonder what we're going to talk about tonight. Just kind of curious. Let's see what the Lord has in store for us. Acts chapter 8, beginning in verse 1. Acts chapter 8, beginning in verse 1. And Saul was consenting unto his death. He's talking about the death of Stephen. At that time, there was a great persecution against the church, which was at Jerusalem. They were all scattered abroad throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. And devout men carried Stephen to his burial, and made great lamentation over him. As for Saul, he made havoc of the church, entering into every house, and hauling men and women committed them to prison. Therefore, they that were scattered abroad went everywhere preaching the word. The church at Jerusalem was under great attack. The Jewish leaders were convinced that they were a very dangerous sect. 
that they were heretical, and that they were detrimental to the faith itself. Great steps were now being taken to eradicate this group and their beliefs. Great steps were being taken to do away with this doctrine of Christ. The idea that Christ was the promised Messiah indeed. The idea that somehow this Messiah literally came as prophesied and that He was Christ. And that Christ died on a cross and that He rose again the third day. And they despised the doctrine of a risen Savior. And they decided it was time to put that message to rest. And if it meant destroying and even killing those that preached it and taught it, it was all right. Because the end justified the means. The resurrected Savior was the rally cry of the New Testament believers. It wasn't sacrifice or even service, although both were part of their lifestyles. But Jesus was the one that stood as their banner. He was high and lifted up in their preaching and their teaching. Their bold stand made them worthy of death in the eyes of this religious sect called Jews. Here in the opening verses of Acts chapter 8, we're told of a great persecution. And this word, great, would mean very large or a very concerted effort. Great persecution. And the attack was against the church. And the result of this attack was that the membership was scattered abroad throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria. What can we learn from this event that's recorded for us? I mean, how can we be instructed and inspired today as a result of this particular passage? I mean, what about it will enable us to be more active witnesses for our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ? I want to share three simple thoughts tonight as we go forward and as we even look forward to our team soul winning. But let's take a look at this passage and see what we can learn tonight. Father, we thank you now for this time together. We have just a few short moments. But Lord, we have enough time. To literally change our outlook forever. Lord, I don't want to waste these next few minutes. Father, I'm fearful that. I've wasted a lot of time in life. God, help me not to waste these next minutes. Your Holy Spirit, truly allow me to be a mouthpiece. Father, may I be your mouthpiece. Lord, help us, Father, to truly understand this aspect of being a witness. Who it is and why it is. Help us just understand it. And to apply those truths to our life, to truly embrace it. Father, we just ask that you just be with your people tonight and open their eyes and their ears to your truths. May we, Father, leave here better for having come tonight. Well, thank you. In Christ's name, amen. First of all, I want to note the problem here. You say, of course, the problem is the great persecution that's taking place. Obviously, these are men and women of God, and 
these these Judy these these Jews this 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 corrupt faith is now turned their venomous uh, uh, teeth toward them and they're biting them and they're they're gnawing upon them and they're even destroying them. This is the problem. I mean, Paul's going around wreaking havoc in the church. Obviously, this is the great problem. <laughs> it's often hard to understand why God would permit His children to suffer, isn't it? But in this case, understand these were the very first Christians. I mean, it wasn't probably a year or two earlier that that 120 there, that those apostles and that 120 were out there at Pentecost and they began to speak in tongues and people heard in their own language and the Holy Ghost fell upon them and men they began to speak in tongues themselves as proof or evidence of the coming Spirit of God. The ultimate power source of the New Testament faith. It was only a year or two earlier, right there, that the disciples walked with Jesus Christ. The first twelve were chosen and they literally lived with Jesus, walked with Him and, and, and received from Him and suffered with Him even at times. We're only removed a mere four or five years from the greatest ministry that ever existed, Jesus's. And now only a, probably a year or two away from the greatest event on the Christian calendar, the coming of the Holy Ghost. And all of a sudden, these new believers are thrust into a battle. A battle that you and I cannot even comprehend nor ever understand at this point. Literally, Satan, the adversary, was attacking He was seeking to destroy them, literally. I'm sure they were very good men and women. I'm sure they were wonderful parents. I can only imagine they were family-oriented and Christ-oriented and church-oriented. What can we learn from them then? First of all, before we can understand this, this persecution, we have to realize or note the commission. Notice in Matthew 28. Well, the problem has to be this persecution. Well, before we jump to conclusions, let's understand a couple of things. Note the commission that was given in Matthew 28. Christ is preparing to leave, to ascend, to go back to where He came from. If you recall, He came to seek and to save that which was lost. He has now accomplished His goal or purpose for coming, and now He's returning. Prior to His return in Matthew 28, 19, and 20, we read, Go ye therefore and teach Jerusalem, baptizing them. Wait, wait a second. I might have skipped. Wait, did I say that correctly? Or I think maybe. I, wait, hold on. Let me read that one more time. I might have missed. See, go ye therefore and teach all. Oh, wait a second. That shouldn't have been Jerusalem. That's nations. 
baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things. Whatsoever I have commanded you, lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. This is often referred to as the Great Commission. A time when Jesus Christ gathered those disciples that remained and He said, Now listen, fellas, I've got a job for you to do. And that job is simple. I want you to go and teach all nations. And I want you to baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. I want you to teach them to observe all things whatsoever I've commanded you. And I, and I want you to, to do it. And I want you to do it well. Because if you got me with you, it's going to be done right. Now listen, you go and I'll be with you. Get it done. There's a commission that was given prior to Christ's return. But I want you to note the commandment. Notice what it says in Acts 1.8 now. Notice what it says in Acts 1.8. They've been given a job to do, of course, but I want you to see the commandment again. Sometimes we focus on the commandment on chapter, uh, uh, you know, chapter 28, 19, and 20, and I'm okay with that to some degree, but hold on, it's only a partial, partial, partially correct, I should say. Because somebody I know just went, well, wait a second, the command is already in Matthew 28, 19, and 20, and it's go. Well, you know what, I, I go to work every day. So did I obey the command? Is that the command, to go to work? No. Well, I go... Well, this is, this is kind of crude, please forgive me, but I go to the restroom every day. Sometimes a lot if I drink a lot of water. Is that the fulfillment of the command? And, you know, I'm trying to, you know, we've we, we, we got to stop for a minute. Let's think about this thing. Is going really the command that God gives us? Is it simply to go? No. Notice the commandment. Acts 1.8 makes it very clear what, our, what the command is. He says to the disciples once again there, he says right before he leaves, before he ascends, he says, but ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be, what? Witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto, well, just forget it, go to Jerusalem instead. No, the uttermost part of the earth. But notice, ye shall be, what? Witnesses. Listen, that is not an option. You shall be. That's what you're going to be. That's what you're going to be. You're going to be witnesses. Listen, it's easy to go to church. It's easy to go to choir practice. It's easy to go teach your lesson. He said, no, it's not. It's a lot easier than going to be a witness. Oh, I'd much rather preach a message at times than to have to go witness. But the command is to be witnesses. See, we miss that in the mix of it all. We somehow think, we think that activity is the fulfillment of the commandment. No, it has to do with content. 
We're witnesses. Ye shall be witnesses. That's why you have to have the Holy Ghost. We see the commission. We see the commandment. So what about these consequences? What in the world's going on? Why in the world is this persecution taking place? Obviously, God is upset with the people of God then? Are you telling me they're not good people? You're telling me they're not going to church? You're telling me they're not reading their Bible and praying? Are you telling me they haven't taught the Sunday school lesson the way they're supposed to teach it? Are you telling me there's a problem there? No, I don't think so. I think they're doing everything right in Jerusalem. problem is they're not obeying the command. Wait, the command isn't just to go. It's not just to, to, to um, witness locally even. You take it together and you realize something. The command is to go, yes. To be a witness, yes. But everywhere. And in this case, he makes it very clear. You're to be a witness in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. That's the command. Not to keep it to yourself or your small circle of friends. Not to just share it with your family, but to share it with the world. See, the people of God had gotten comfortable They were content to remain in Jerusalem. They were living their lives in Jerusalem. They were evangelizing in Jerusalem. However, that wasn't God's plan. Oh, sure, it was part of the plan, but it wasn't the complete plan. It's kind of like saying, well, I'll give God Sunday and Wednesdays, but the rest of the week's mine. No, that's that's not how it works. God wants you every day. Not just part of the week, but the whole week. And he's saying it's not enough to be witnesses in Jerusalem when I've called you, commissioned, and commanded you to be witnesses to the uttermost. He wanted them, according to the passage, to be witnesses in all Judea and in Samaria and even unto the uttermost part of the earth. See, they were established in their ways and in their livelihoods. That's a scary thing, isn't it? To pick up and leave town to carry the gospel? To be a witness? You got a good paying job today, sir? Yeah. Well, I want you to understand you need to be a witness. Not just in Jerusalem, but in Judea and in Samaria and the uttermost part of the earth. Well, yeah, well, I'm sure someone else will take care of that. I'm sure that there's other people that are better suited to handle that than me. And I can only imagine that the early church, a number of people in Jerusalem, probably the majority of people said, you know what, we don't know what it's like out there in Samaria. 
to some degree. I mean, we know how people receive the gospel in Jerusalem. And we're very comfortable here because our families are here. Our livelihood is here. And we're very comfortable with our housing and with our accommodations. This is comfortable. Our children are in good schools. And everything's going wonderful here in Jerusalem. But, yeah, that's Samaria and Judea and all that uttermost. Now, I think we'll let someone else take care of it. Don't you think some of them felt that way? I mean, do you think that the apostles ever quoted Matthew 28, 19 and 20? Do you think that the apostles ever mentioned Acts chapter 1, verse 8? Let me tell you what Jesus told us, folks. As He was departing, as He was preparing to go back to be with the Father, He said, but ye shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And ye shall be witnesses. Has the Holy Ghost come upon us? Amen. Remember Pentecost? And the whole crowd says, Amen. Then we're to be witnesses. To the outermost part of the earth. You got to believe that they were preaching it, teaching it. But for whatever reason, you can only guess like me. But I think being humans, and no different than them, we probably are pretty close as to why they didn't leave Jerusalem. We understand those things. But understanding them doesn't make it right. Because, see, they weren't executing God's plan. They weren't fulfilling God's purpose. They were doing a great work where they were. And, I mean, the church of Jerusalem had exploded. But God was saying, my power is in Jerusalem But it ought to be everywhere. My presence is in Jerusalem. But it ought to be everywhere. My plan is in Jerusalem. But it ought to be everywhere. So... Since they didn't get on board with worldwide evangelism, he simply lit a fire to get them moving. You didn't like that, did you? That don't feel good. Are you trying to tell me that you believe, Pastor, that Acts chapter 8 and that persecution that came to those believers was a direct result of the fact that they were not fulfilling God's plan for worldwide evangelism? Yeah, that's what I believe. Because you know what I know? Is it started immediately following it. Somehow, that fire ultimately saved the world. It was that fire that saved the world. You say, no, it wasn't. It was the fire of the Holy Ghost. 
Hey, listen, if that fire wouldn't have been lit, the Holy Ghost would have never got past Jerusalem. That fire was hot and it burned a bunch. But in the end, you and I are the product of that fire. So see, when we really look at it, and again, we're looking hindsight. We're seeing it from here, looking back. It was a good thing they were persecuted. Because it enabled the gospel to be carried out to not only Jerusalem, but Judea and Samaria and ultimately the uttermost part of the earth. Now, when you're going through something like that, it's not very pleasant. But looking back on it, we can see that the people of God had failed to comply with God's command to be witnesses in Judea and Samaria and the uttermost part of the earth. That word witness is awesome, isn't it? I, I guess we complicate this thing called soul winning a lot. We make it complicated. You know, we use words like plan and we use, you know, words like quick start. All these different things. But, you know, in reality, you can be a witness and never one time to a gospel seminar or training session. Now, I, I, I'm not saying there's not benefit to it. I think there's extreme benefit. Just like, to be honest with you, I'm sure that I could save someone's life without ever going to medical school. But I'd probably be more apt to do it if I went to medical school. You know what I'm saying? Do you really? Because I'm not sure if I, you know, there's very little feedback here. But, I believe that you can, you can win souls without ever taking a you know, training class on how to win souls. But I believe you can win more if you have a grasp of it. And you understand how to, it flows and you, you've got some ideas of how to make things come alive. Witnesses. So we see the problem. Notice the participants. See the participants in this whole thing. In chapter 8, verse 1, it says, And Saul was consenting unto his death. And at that time there was a great persecution against the church, which was at Jerusalem. So right away we see that one of the participants is the church. But I want you to notice this as we read on. And they were all scattered abroad throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria. Now again, I don't think that's coincidental that those are the regions they went to after we've read Acts chapter 1 verse 8. Now notice again here, I didn't end the, the, the passage yet because notice there's this three-word statement here that I find very interesting. And I, I, I can't even tell you how excited 
Those three words make me as a pastor. Those three words light a fire in my bosom. They set my feet on a cloud. Notice what they are. Except the apostles. Notice again, they, they were all scattered abroad throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria except the apostles. Huh. Wait a second. That doesn't make sense. You would have thought that God would have sent the apostles out to those regions. I mean, if the goal was to witness and to reach Judea and Samaria and the uttermost part of the earth, we'll get the big dogs in the program. I mean, talk to the big cheeses. Get them out there on the front lines. Let them go out and win souls and let them preach the gospel and be a witness. Doesn't that make sense? I mean, we're paying these guys. Get out there and do their job. Sadly, there are some church members that feel that way. But they just haven't read the Bible. Or at least not this portion of it. Because, see, the witnesses of this gospel were new converts. They're only a year or two away from Pentecost. I mean, the most mature and most veteran of the group was probably only two years old in the faith. If that old. It was possibly less than a year. Well, I believe we're moving these people way too fast, preacher. I mean, come on, they need to grow in Christ before they go out and get thrown to the lions. I'm glad these early Christians were strong enough to stand after only a few months. Think about this. There were people who just got saved that were out doing this work. They were new converts. I'm about tired of this, this real soft, cream puff Christianity we have. Well, I can't take it. It's too hard. Too hard to live for Jesus in America? I mean, let's be honest now. I mean, when's the last time somebody hit you over the head with a stick for passing a tract to a cash register person? Uh, I'd like to give you this tract and uh, come on out if you'd like. And next thing you know, a gallon of milk hits you in the back of the noggin. I mean, when's the last time that happened? Never. I'm just saying, are you kidding me? These Christians just got saved and they're running for their very lives because of their faith. But then, interestingly enough, these witnesses, and if they're witnesses, then they are the ones sharing. They're just new converts. I don't know about you. That's a rough life right there. That's tough stuff. 
you know, I'm, I've, I'm to, I've come to the conclusion. You, you know why we're struggling in, in Christianity today in my mind? I'm going to tell you real quick. I was telling my wife this the other day. It's part of something I'm trying to put together. You'll probably hear it again somewhere. But you know, when I was in missions class years ago, the professors used to always say things to me like, yeah, when you go down there into the uh, deep, dark jungles of Africa and you get with some of those pygmies and some of those uh, cannibals and some of those people that are heathens, they're glad to receive Jesus Christ. They're more than happy to accept Him. Hold on, here's what they'd say. But all they do is go over to their closet of gods and add Him to them. And they'd say, we have to be very careful on the mission field where we're ministering. Because all of them are more than happy to receive this God. But He is only a little g God like all the rest of their gods. If we promise He'll meet their need or care for them or do something for their family or somehow provide, they're more than happy to accept another God and add Him to their closet of gods. You know what's wrong with Modern-day Christianity? We're only adding God to our closet of gods. We're glad. Oh, you mean He could restore my marriage if I accepted Him? Oh, you mean He could help me to interact and have a good relationship with my children and my family? Oh, you mean that He could help me with the judge and they could think that somehow I've turned a new leaf and I'll get a lesser sentence? Oh, you mean that somehow my financial distress will be all taken care of somehow because this God, all I need to do is trust Him and receive Him and He'll take care of me. I'll add Him. Oh, there it is. Oh, I see sports. Oh, I see my wife, my husband in there. Oh, my children. Oh, I'd do anything for them. Oh, my job. My future. My dreams. Let me add Jesus to them. Sets them in there. You guys all get along now. And Jesus, I'll be praying to you. And I'll go to church just like the preacher said or that soul winner said because I've got to pray and I've got to read and I've got to go to church because that's what you demand of me. That's what you demand of me. Now, let's see. What's the sports God demand of me? I have to watch this game every Sunday. I have to go to the ball game. I have to take my kids to practice. I have to do this. Hmm, it's going to be hard to fit it all in, isn't it? Oh, wait. Well, my wife, she's upset because I don't spend enough time with her. I've only spent four nights this week with her. She wants me every night. You think I'm joking? Do you understand what's going on in that closet? You're trying to appease all your gods. Is it any wonder we don't have time to go to church, read our Bible, pray, bring our family to God's house, and get something serious and something eternal? He's not our whole life. He's only a part of it. He's no more God to us than sports are God to us. And we wonder why our blessings aren't overflowing. And we wonder why we still don't have sanity in our minds. And we wonder why we're so overwhelmed with stress. And we wonder why our life is still falling apart. 
because you just have him as a little G. He's not everything to you. Oh, you got time to serve God when he's all there is. You got time to pray and beg God for personal help and to meet and satisfy your longings. You got time to think about him high and lift it up and you got time to write out your verses in your discipleship and you got time to serve God on the field and you got time to study your lesson and you got time to prepare your music when he's a big G God and the only God. We've added into our closets. And you know what? That's what's going on with these people we're leading to the Lord too, by the way. Listen, I believe as believers we have to be careful when we start talking to people. We make sure we plainly and clearly express to them that Christ is the only way, the truth and life. There is no salvation outside of Him and there is no other God outside of Him. That was all free. Because that's what's on my heart right now. Those are things I'm worn with in my life. And as I see it around the world right now, it seems so much, at least in America, these witnesses of this gospel were new converts. And by the way, there's no reason in this world why a new convert shouldn't be in God's house three times a week. There's no, hey, listen, there's no reason in the world why a new convert shouldn't be excited about wanting to go out with a, fan, a friend that's saved and say, well, what do you do that for? I'd like to try that. That should be natural. They ought to be, we ought to be holding them back. Discipleship? Oh, I want to do that. You mean I get to learn about Jesus, the only God in my life? I'll do it. He's so important to me, I've got to learn more about Him. I don't have anything else to live for but Him. And we're so worried that we're going to send them running. You know, maybe we ought to help them understand there is no other God. But you know, we can't do that if we got ours. You know, we start telling them why we can't do this and we can't do that and why this is so hard for us. And, you know, it's just hard living for Jesus. It's tough. I know temptation gets a hold of me and his victory, it just destroys me. Are you kidding me? If it is still destroying you, if it's still the preeminent aspect of your life, then you haven't gotten victory from Christ. You're still a little baby. I'm not saying the temptation doesn't rack us all and that we don't have to turn from it. But if you keep yielding to it, then what you're saying is you keep sinning and you're not getting any victory in your life. Then what kind of Christian are you? A baby. I tell you what, when I got older, there was a lot less people could whoop me. And if they could, I found a way for so they couldn't. When I was a little kid... I mean, everybody was bigger and everybody was stronger and it just seemed like all I had to do was walk the wrong place and somebody jumped me. I mean, I was done. It was over with. I couldn't defend myself. I was a baby. I got overwhelmed and overcome by every adversary. But as I got older, fewer and fewer were able to take me. Honestly, there's a number of people in the world who could take me now. But there ain't nearly as many as used to because I'm grown now. So what's wrong with our Christianity when all we ever do is get beat? End in defeat. Crash and burn. Maybe it's because we haven't grown. We think we are. Because somebody else says we're spiritual because we're always in a tie. We wear that little dress, don't we? Well, let's hope it's not too little. 
You know where I'm going with this. See, this is all my heart now. See, this is why I, I, I just, I'm having a hard time. I knew why there's a reason why the Lord didn't give me this message till about 15 minutes till time's chart. Because He knew what I was going to really, what He really wanted me to say. By the way, what God wants us to say is what is on our heart. That's what being a witness is about, isn't it? You know why we're not passionate about souls? Because we're not passionate about Him. Let's just be honest. Let's just be honest. It's easy to say I love someone. It's a lot harder to prove it. To live it. Listen, we we got a big job ahead of us. I mean a big job. I'm not talking about renovating the carousel. I'm talking about a big job. I'm talking about one that has eternal consequences. I'm talking about this whole city. I'm talking about these suburbs. I'm talking about people who will literally die and go to hell. If you and I don't get a hold of Christ, see Him high and lifted up like Isaiah did, and answer the call, who will go for us? And I'm not just talking about team soul winning. I'm talking about a lifestyle that says, I'm a witness. And I'm on vacation, but I'm still a witness. That's what I'm talking about. God help us to be witnesses. Team soul winning is a joke. It's just a matter of fulfilling our duty. It's a big joke. I'm not, listen, I want you all to join. Don't misunderstand me, but let's let the preacher be honest. It's not effective unless you're effectual. He that goeth forth and weepeth, bearing precious seed, shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. Man, we got to go with tears. A broken heart. How do you get that? You get that by getting in his presence. Not just reading your Bible and praying, but literally just, just getting there. I told my kids in our devotions the other day, I said, haven't you ever just pictured yourself just crawling up in Jesus' lap and asking him to put his arms around you because you need him? Until we get in that, those arms and until we get in his lap, we'll never be the witness God intended us to be. I just beg you, spend some time with him. Close your eyes and imagine yourself leaving this world and soaring through outer space and entering the door of heaven and humbly falling before the face and the knees and the feet of Jesus and crawl into his lap. Just touch him on the foot. Oh God, let me up. That's what we need. And that's what's missing today. God help us. Father, we come to you. We thank you again for...